But I definitely feel like anti-diet is like gaining momentum because a lot of us are realizing that like, if it didn't work the seventh diet, like, or the 12th diet, like maybe this doesn't work. Like, and a lot of us look back at our like trajectory of weight gain and realize like, how much did we weigh when we did our first diet? (laughs) Oftentimes that's like 40, 50 pounds ago. There's always like a story behind our decisions. Um, Or like the other thing I hear is like, I'm doing it for my health. But then we dig into like, what does health actually mean? Welcome to the Daily Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Stacey Mitchell. I am so happy to have you here. My goal for this podcast is to break down the latest health topics and help clear the clutter in the messy world of nutrition and fitness. We hope to inspire, educate, and entertain all things wellness. Join us as we talk with experts in their fields on how to feel our best in our own body and mind. Hey there, our guest today is helping women unlearn diet culture and heal their relationship with food and body, plus help you raise your kids to be body-confident, intuitive eaters. She's a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, Jen Messina. She is one of my favorites on Instagram, and I love her reels talking about why 90s kids have messed up relationships with food and body. She points out so many good messages on Instagram, showing us the difference between girl and boy clothing and many more harmful examples of diet culture. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. Jen, it's so great to have you here with us on the show. Will you introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you do? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Jen Messina. I am a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. I live in beautiful British Columbia and I'm on the North Shore. So um, there's like a lot of trees and a lot of water in my life. Um, I also have two little kids. I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. So I know the struggle of being, you know, a busy working person with lots of balls up in the air and sometimes feeling like you're dropping all of them. Um, And I really focus on helping women heal their relationship with food and their body and moving away from dieting and towards intuitive eating and also breaking intergenerational cycles of dieting between families. So a lot of us were taught like a dieting mindset from our own parents. So a lot of the people that I work with are parents, um, but even if you're not a parent, um, it's also healing that inner child and relearning like maybe things that should have gone a little differently in our own lives. And if you are a parent, how do we change that narrative for our own kids? And how do we make sure that they don't have the body hatred that we did kind of growing up as well? So that's kind of a little bit of the lens that I look through. And you have this presence on social media of like, oh yeah, that's where I learned that. Like putting the dots together of different diets we did in the 90s or uh, different habits that we learned as a kid and just kind of stuck with us as we got older. Definitely. And I think a lot of us, like we may feel like something is kind of wrong with us. Like why do I feel so much guilt around this? Or why do I feel like I have to clean my plate or why am I always craving X, Y, or Z? And so I think, you know, there is like a lot behind that kind of stuff. So obviously there's like our relationship with food growing up, what we saw our parents doing 
even if our parents didn't put us on diets, I mean, some people that I work with will tell me my mom brought me to Weight Watchers at age 11. Like some parents did put their kids on diets, but even if they didn't, like maybe their mom never ate, you know, carbs or never ate ice cream with them at the park. So where are they learning this kind of stuff? It, it often is like quite deep rooted. Um, and so as we move forward in our own journey, it's, it's reflecting on like maybe where does some of this come from? And then now I often ask people like, what is the story you're telling yourself? So like they'll say to me, like, I can't eat X, Y, or Z. And then we'll kind of dig into that. Like, where did that come from? But also like, what is the story you're telling yourself? If I eat, a lot of it comes back to like, if I eat carbs, then I'll gain weight. If I gain weight, you know, I won't be as happy with my body. I'm not as lovable. I'm not as X, Y, and Z. So I think like we want to dig into, there's always like a story behind our decisions. Um, or like the other thing I hear is like, I'm doing it for my health. But then we dig into like, what does health actually mean? Well, health doesn't mean a thin body, right? Like health means, you know, a lot of things. Like it means, you know, being able to eat without guilt. It means moving your body in a joyful way. It means having good mental health and support. And, you know, there's, you know, good medical care. So I think when we dig into what, you know, why we're doing certain things, um, a lot of it comes back to some of the diet culture messages that we've really been inundated with since basically since we were old enough to understand. So, um, so it's unpacking a lot of that and, and yeah, it's connecting some of the dots, I think, but also like where, how can I move forward in a way that feels better in my body? Um, because I know that like what I've been doing for the past 20, 30, 40 years hasn't been working. Right. There's a lot to dig into and find. And just last weekend, my family and I were watching a movie. It was one of those days where we were just kind of tired down. So let's watch a family movie together. And just searching up on Disney, and we found this Camp Nowhere. One of the kids went to fat camp, and they had so much focus on her losing weight and her mom loving her because she lost the weight. The movie was made back in the nineteen early 1990s. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad because then it associates like your appearance with love, right? right? And so what is specifically like I find this affecting, I mean, men have their own unique struggles with like toxic masculinity, but I feel like for young girls, they're constantly, the reinforced message is like, your value is your appearance. Yes. And so you are loved if you are if you're thin, if you are beautiful, um, you know, that is your primary value. And so, and I still see it like to this day, like we often see like clothing for young girls as being like trying to make them look cute, whereas clothing for boys is more functional. So boys are taught that like their bodies are for doing and girls are taught their bodies are for looking at, um, you know, with some of the designs of the clothing or the less functionality that we see. So I think like both we were inundated with these messages and I do think we have come a long way. Like I was looking at some like statistics on like hashtags and TikTok's number one hashtag last year was weight loss, but number two was body positivity. So I feel like for us, like there is no such thing as body positivity. And like for a lot of my clients, like feeling positive about your body, I'm not trying to get a lot of people to like, if you feel positive about your body, amazing. But like, let's just hate our bodies a little less. Let's move towards what we call body neutrality is often what I'm working with clients on. But we as like young people, there was never any like that liberation movement or anti-diet culture like in our age. 
So at least I feel like we are, there is options. Like, you know, the internet has both positive and negative things. But one of those positives is that you can find like-minded community if you are in a disabled body in a queer, if you're queer or you are transgender, like there's lots of more access. Whereas if you were like a small, in a small town, you might've been the only fat kid, the only child of color, you know, like there isn't, there wasn't as much access to some of this community, which I find part of healing is also finding others that feel similar to you that are standing up against some of these, oppressive systems of belief. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we've come a long way. Obviously, there's lots of work to do still. um, But at least I feel like there is hope in terms of, um, like, our young generation. Like, I see girls of all shapes and sizes wearing crop tops, which I love. Um, Like, for older girls, not necessarily for, like, babies, but for older girls who are expressing themselves. But in my age, when I was growing up, I would have never worn a crop top because I would have felt self-conscious about my body. Right. So I would have felt like my body was too big. And like all this being said, I like just want to acknowledge that I am in a straight size, white, hetero, cisgender body. So I I do have a privileged body. Um, But even so, as a child, I wouldn't have felt comfortable because I always like I didn't see other bodies that look like mine that were wearing, you know, clothes like that. So I wouldn't have felt comfortable. Whereas now I see people of all genders like expressing themselves. Um, and body shapes and sizes expressing themselves, you know, through clothing, which I think is really amazing. It is very nice to see for sure. And uh, my daughters are 11 and 16 and they are taking on that movement as well. So I'm like, you're much farther than I was at that age. So that's a plus. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. What kind of comments do you get or response when you have certain uh, reels or posts uh, showing the difference and pointing these instances out? I mean, a lot of people in my community, like if you're in my community, you're kind of kind of pushing back, like you said, against some of these oppressive beliefs. But a lot of times, and it's, it's very interesting, and I don't know why, but there's this culture of what we, I kind of call them like the gym bros. Like they're men, they're able-bodied, they're straight they're often I mean I mean almost 99% are white um, so they are in like the most privileged bodies in our society and they are very often pushing back again so I'll say something like it's not your responsibility to change your child's body shape or size like children come in all shapes or sizes you know if your child is growing along the 99th percentile on the growth curve like it's not your job to make them thinner like your job is to help them learn to live in their body in a positive way. I mean, as parents, we also model, like, as dietitians, we teach people to, like, you know, eat a variety of foods, not force children to eat certain foods, modeling healthy eating, eating together, like, all this kind of stuff. So those are your jobs. But your job isn't to say, like, you can't have seconds on potatoes. Like, you can only have seconds on broccoli. So I'll say this in my some of my posts, and I'll get this, like, hate from these able-bodied, like I said, gym bros that I call them, that it's like, no, like if your kid is fat, you need to force them to lose weight. You need to take them on runs. It's your fault, like all of this stuff. So I feel like there is like this pushback against, because when we, when we look at weight, especially for children, there's so many different factors that go into it. Children are also growing at very different rates. Sometimes they grow tall. Sometimes they grow out. 
Um, we know for girls, they gain a lot of weight specifically in their abdomen right before puberty. And that's because it's redistributed to their breasts and their hips. So there's lots of reasons why a child might be in a larger body at one stage of their life. Um, but like the narrative is very, I feel like it's very toxic that no, like fat is bad and fat means you're unhealthy. Um, and I, I really like, so I get, I get a lot of like kind of trolls that way. Um, but often like when I, I think about it, like when I do get these like kind of more hate, hateful messages, I often think like, I'm really pushing a button here. Like why is the notion of like letting a child grow into the body that their genetics predetermines them to be. Why is that so radical? Like why is saying having some fat on your body isn't the worst thing that that could happen? So I'm pushing on a button somewhere that's really like, I don't know, like to, to get that kind of response, there's something very triggering in that. So, you know, I think it's pushing up against the, the notion that like, because there is this like calories in calories out mentality that like everyone can have a body like X if you only worked hard enough. And I'm saying actually that's not true. There's lots of other factors that come into play with regards to someone's body that someone may have no control over. You know, their socioeconomic status, their race, their ethnicity, their family history, their genetics, all of this kind of stuff, their environment, like is the environment, can they go outside and play without fear of being shot, right? Like, are neighborhoods safe? Like, do people have access to grocery stores? Or is it only these food deserts that we see that are only convenience stores? So when I talk about, you know, bodies, and say that, you know what, it's not all calories in calories out. In fact, like, how we move our body and what we eat actually is a significantly smaller role than what many of us think in our weight and size. Um, that definitely pushes some buttons. But I think that means that I'm on the right track. Like I'm on the right track with this messaging that, that it needs to be said more rather than less. Totally. Yep. And is that hard for you sometimes to hear a lot of negativity or is it just, you know, brush, brush it under the rug? I mean, I'm still a human. And so I feel like sometimes I get like really personal attacks. Like your children are going to die when they're 20 of diabetes. Like, I mean, I don't post anything about my kids online. I have kids, but I, I, I mean, I might post them from behind or something like that, but I try not to like, I don't show their, um, their bodies or their faces. So like very personal attacks, like they do bother me. And I really liberally use the block and delete function, but some of those like do get under my skin a bit. And so sometimes I have to take like breaks in terms of like, you can mute new, new comments, like comments from people that aren't your followers. So sometimes I limit the comments because I just, I have a lot of like weird messaging, like from people that I'll just have to take a break from. So if I turn off the commenting for non-followers, I'll do that for like three days. And that time that the reel will like die down in popularity. And so then uh, I won't like, then those people will kind of like die off. Uh, I won't get those messages, but sometimes people will even send me DMs. Good for you for standing up for that and adding those little things that help you filter out the the mess of it all. You need that mm -hmm. because mental health is also a part of the game here too. Mm -hmm. For sure. Definitely. So who are the clients that you do help? So mostly, mostly the women that I see, like I would say majority of the clients are women. Um, they are busy. They are professionals. Um, a lot of times they don't have a lot of time for themselves. 
Um, they prioritize everyone else's, you know, health and well-being and forms and sports and activities, but then they don't have anything left for themselves. So I work with a lot of women who, um, you know, everyone else comes first. And so I think what the other thing is that I like to do is really try and and talk about how does that affect the family system when mom isn't taking good care of herself. So people will come to me and they'll be like, oh, like everything is a disaster. Like my kid's not eating well. Like all they'll eat is like McDonald's and craft dinner and like, and I'm not eating well. I'm just doing, you know, I'm eating the scraps off their plates and that sort of thing. So they'll be like, oh, I want to start with my kid. And I'll be like, well, why don't we actually like start with you? Because to be honest, like you will, what you do, it will trickle down, right? If we change how things work for you and you're feeling better in your body and eating more regularly and consistently and honoring your cravings and, you know, working through your own health stuff, that will actually have a really positive effect on everyone in the family. Um, and they're shocked by that. They're like, what? I thought I, you know, my kid would come first. So no, we want to focus on mom first. Um, or if they're not a parent, you know, like they're often still taking care of, you know, their partner and their parents and their dog and like everyone else is also still um, a priority. Um, so oftentimes that's where we like to start is like your, you know, focus on you and like, you know, things like feeling extreme fatigue, not sleeping, having a crazy period, having wild cravings. Like people don't realize that those things are not normal. Like you're not supposed to feel terrible. You're supposed to actually feel pretty good. We all have days where we're not feeling great and that's okay. But for the majority of the time, like if your energy is really low and you're feeling super burnt out, like there's lots of things that we should be working on. Um, and, and generally like, as a dietitian, like we always work on food first, right? So how can we improve what you're eating, but in a way that's also reasonable, like not all of us have time to make a homemade kale salad, this and that. So like, what are shortcuts and like realistic ways that we can actually make real change? And oftentimes that comes with like outsourcing, you know, packaged and prepared foods. Like a lot of times those things can be the difference between like actually getting more nutritious foods in our body because we might not necessarily have the time to make like a 10 ingredient salad for our lunch. But yeah, we can order something online that ships to our house that's going to give us the same kind of nutrition. Um, and, you know, oftentimes like price point is very similar because we often see like if people are buying, like going, you know, over the top with trying to like be what I call like too good, I'm putting air quotes here, then sometimes that stuff goes bad in the fridge, right? Because we just, we have all these high hopes, especially on a Monday. It's like Monday, better get it back on track. And then it all falls apart, right? By the end of the week. So how can we find a more realistic approach to how we're eating? That's not this all or nothing. Either I'm good or I'm bad. I'm on the wagon or I'm totally off. Like where's a little bit of a middle ground? And moms, moms need to hear that because uh, their health is extreme is like the core of the family's health, uh, getting it all together and habits and self care and all the above, for sure. Agreed. You were mentioning before we hit record on you had a message talking about um, I don't know if you're the right person for me. Um, I want to lose weight, but I also want to you know go into this intuitive eating part of it. How do you help people with that and navigate which way to go? And I think like many of us will never lose the desire to want to lose weight. Like I have a community of people and I think I did a poll a few months ago and I think it was like 95% said 
they still have a desire. Like if I'm like, if I could wave a wand and you would lose weight, would you want to? And majority of us, because we are still, regardless of our size, and I work with people of all sizes. So I work with people that are like size two to like 40, right? So regardless of your size, there's always going to be parts of your body that you don't like. And so, and I think making yourself smaller or wanting to change certain things or lose weight or gain weight in only certain areas, which I feel like our beauty ideal is like even more skewed now because it's like be thin, but also have a big booty and big boobs, which is like, but we can't decide where our, our fat goes, right? So that's a whole other kind of layer. So, I mean, for this person in particular, I said, you know, I want to let you know that as an intuitive eating dietitian, I don't actually put people on weight loss diets. I would never put you on anything restrictive. We work on healing relationships with food and body and healing the relationship with all food. With some of my clients, they do lose weight. And that's because when we change habits, if we're no longer, for example, binge eating or overeating or coping with our emotions of food as the primary area of coping, sometimes people do lose weight. But to be honest, the majority of us do not lose weight. And in fact, most people do gain weight. And that's because most of us are restricting ourselves in some aspects. So um, I said, you know, one of three things is going to happen. You're going to lose weight, your weight's going to stay the same, or you're going to gain weight. My goal is never, I'm not trying to change your weight. My goal is to change habits. So like what habits are in place right now? And how can we move towards uh, a more productive and healthier, some healthier habits versus what we're currently doing? Um, and often we look at like, why are we doing the things we do? So I'll say like, I'm less interested in what you're eating, but I'm more interested in why or the psychology of eating. Because we all know that like an apple is healthier than like a bag of chips, right? Like that's not rocket science, but like, why are we reaching for certain things versus others? Um, not to say that eating chips is bad. In fact, I love chips and including them is something that we often talk about. But for this person, I wanted them to know that like, we can desire weight loss. But it's like, are you, my job is to help, help people know that like, I'm not pursuing weight loss as a primary goal. And in fact, I don't actually get people to weigh themselves. I don't ask people their weight. Some people want to talk about their weight. Like they might tell me like, I've gained 30 pounds since the pandemic or something like that. So that is useful information for me. Um, but it, I don't need to know that you're 220 versus 150. Like it doesn't really matter because I don't calculate your BMI because I don't actually care what a BMI says because BMI is useless. So, um, so for this person, I just let her know, like, you know, I want to make sure that we're aligned. Like I, again, like I will help you pursue health goals. Um, but if you're looking to like lose 20 pounds by Christmas, like I'm not your gal. Um, and I want to make sure that people are aware that there are dietitians that will help you do that. And that is, you know, hundred percent in their body autonomy to, make those decisions that are right for them. Um, but that's definitely, you know, it can happen, but it's not our primary goal. Do you find that that focus is as popular as, I want to I say weight loss, but we know weight loss is popular. But do you think uh, this mind of intuitive eating anti-diet is a, a little bit gaining some traction? Yes, definitely. And I thought, to be honest, like when I transitioned my practice, so I initially, my practice is only, I started my practice in 2019. So I've been a dietitian since 2007, but I was in public health and I worked with a lot of people with like mental health and addictions from the downtown east side um, for most of my career. And so when I had my kids and I transitioned to private practice, I actually covered for a dietitian and she actually 
was doing some weight centric care. And so I kind of got a few of her clients, like she was on a maternity leave. So I had, I, I didn't, I wasn't completely anti-diet until I would say my private practice started in 2019. I probably started working with her in 2018 um, because I was after I had my son. Um, so around my own, I had to split from her because I was like, I can't like ethically do weight loss counseling anymore. So because we were trying to decide like, cause she came back from her maternity leave. Should we stay together and form a joint private practice or should we go our separate ways? And I had said, you know, I don't actually feel like I can ethically provide weight loss counseling um, because I feel like now the more that I've learned, like the more harm I know that I'm causing. Um, so we split. And so I went my own way. And so in 2019, I was fully like anti-diet, health at every size, um, intuitive eating. Um, but I still, people still like hear dietitian and like still hear like weight loss. So there is definitely a lot more popularity. I think like people, there is still a large like number of people that want to lose weight and I will direct them away. Like if they're like, no, I need to lose like this much weight by this date. Like I want a calorie count. I want a macro track. I want you to look at photos of my food and tell me if it's good or bad um, around that guilt and shame kind of piece. Um, so I will like find them. Uh, there's other dietitians that I refer them to, but I definitely feel like anti-diet is like gaining momentum because a lot of us are realizing that like, if it didn't work the seventh diet, like, or the 12th diet, like maybe this doesn't work. Like, and a lot of us look back at our like trajectory of weight gain and realize like, how much did we weigh when we did our first diet? <laughs> Oftentimes that's like 40, 50 pounds ago. And so every time that we put ourselves through these periods of fasting, our body is very smart and our body doesn't want to lose weight. So our body will adjust and adapt our metabolism. And we often see these metabolic changes with the yo-yo dieting. So one of the predictors for weight gain is actually weight cycling or yo-yo dieting. Um, so, you know, many of us will realize like, oh, like, you know, I lost 10 pounds on my first diet, but then I gained 15. And then my second diet, I lost 15, but I gained 20. And like, it's like the stepwise pattern up, up, up. And now I'm whatever weight I am now, but I wish I'd just gone back and never dieted in the first place, right? So a lot of us realize this. We can't go back in time, but we can stop the dieting trajectory. We can stop the, like, you know, a lot of us, we see, oh, Atkins was the diet that we did. Now that's keto. So we see it like rebranded and repurposed what it used to be to what it is now. Like it's out of vogue now to like do calorie counting, but I can do intermittent fasting. And that's like, okay, that's socially acceptable versus calorie counting. is like, oh, that's, that's like weird. Like that's a diet, right? So, but it, intermittent fasting is like a lifestyle. So I think like a lot of us are realizing this rebranding is like, we've seen this before. Like this was like cabbage soup, like 30 years ago. Right. So now we're just seeing it repurposed. So yeah, I do think there is like a big, a big uh, momentum with it. I mean, I am also like in my own universe of like people who are kind of like-minded. So um, I think there's, there's more than there was. Like I worried when I changed my practice over that I wouldn't have clients. That was like one of my worries, but I have like more than enough clients. In fact, I'm like, like months in advance book. So I'm like, I'm fine. I love hearing that. Um, yeah. And I had to laugh because I've done, you know, growing up, I was that child that went with my mom to Weight Watchers just, be, just because she was going, I, I went with her. 
Um, I did Adkins with her. Uh, you know, did all those Richard Simmon exercise workouts. and But what do you say to the person that um, is maybe hitting their 40s and getting into the perimenopause and their body's changing and it's hard to get used to that change? Yeah, and I think like menopause is a very unique period of time and like those early years too, like you're noticing changes. But we know, like, I think the more you know about, like, the hormone physiology, the better that you feel. So, like, a lot of clients will say to me, like, their cholesterol goes up. And they're like, oh, my God, like, I'm not eating any differently, but why is my cholesterol going up, right? Or why am I gaining, like, abdominal fat? Or why, you know, but when we look at, like, what actually happens, what's the hormonal effect of, like, declining estrogen, right? What does that affect? How does that affect our body shape and size? How does that affect our cholesterol? So, I feel like the more you know about physiology, the better that you might feel that like, this isn't quote unquote, your fault, right? Like this is a normal process that every single woman goes through. I mean, I think it is hard to go through those changes. Um, but the more that we can understand how our body is working, the more that we can realize that like, there's nothing wrong with us. Like similar to like, I feel like in puberty, like many of us felt like our bodies all of a sudden we gained all this abdominal weight and we we're like, Oh my God, like what's wrong with me? Like I'm doing something terribly wrong. Um, but if we had been told at age 10, that like your body fat needs to double in order for you to get your menstrual cycle, like that's normal. And you're the reason why you have abdominal weight is because your body will take that fat and put it on your breast later. Like you might feel less bad about it. So the similar thing around uh, menopause is like, maybe the more we know about our hormonal shifts, we'll know that like, we're not alone in this and that we don't need to feel ashamed of like what's naturally happening in our body. I think we can cope with it in different ways, like in terms of supporting hormonal health through food and through, you know, phytoestrogens and, you know, nutrients that we eat. Sometimes it's hormone therapy, even like low doses of things like progesterone for some of my clients. Um, if they're having like different symptoms at different times, I mean, as dietitians, like we don't prescribe hormones. So, Oftentimes I'll work with like a naturopath that would help support them. But I think um, just knowing that there's nothing wrong with you and that your body is doing what it's meant to do um, and that we don't have a ton of control over certain body changes. Like that is not something that's like your fault. It's not like you ate pizza last week and that's why your body shape is changing. Um, but that this is like a process that all women go through and that you don't have to feel alone in that journey. And you definitely show that on social media, in your reels, very genuine, very, very heartfelt. And what are some of your most popular reels and posts? I mean, I don't love to, like the, the popular ones are anything controversial. So like anytime that I talk about like something that is like counter to, like I had this one post that I did and actually I got um, the Washington Post contacted me about it because I was talking about and I feel like this isn't controversial at all, but like serving dessert with dinner, like they were like, that is really weird that you're talking about. Don't make kids like eat certain amount of food, like three more bites or whatever. I think I had like a three bite post, like that that's actually like harmful to be making kids eat because we're, we want to teach them how to listen to their body. So anything around like, you know, the things that many of us are raised with like three more bites of broccoli and then you get your dessert and like things like I often talk about like, 
serving dessert like on the plate because we don't want to put it on a pedestal as being this super special thing. So like all of the time I post in my stories around like dessert will be on the plate. Like I don't make my kids like they can just eat dessert. And so like a lot of parents say to me like, well, what if they just eat the dessert? And I'm not putting like a huge slice of chocolate cake on there. I'm putting like a handful of gummies or I might put like a cookie or like a child size portion of something. Um, but they'll say, well, what happens if they only eat the dessert? And if your kid is restricted, feels restricted, yes, they definitely will eat the dessert and they'll eat it first. But as your child learns that like dessert is not something that needs to be earned over time, they actually might like have a bite of chicken, then have a bite of cookie, then they'll have a bite of rice, then they'll have another bite of cookie. So like, or they'll leave the dessert if they don't feel like it. Like I've had my kids be like, I don't actually feel like dessert tonight. I'm like, all right, no dessert. So I feel like a lot of those posts tend to go a bit more viral because they're just like counterintuitive to like a lot of the messages that like sugar is poison, sugar is going to like harm your kids or sugar is so bad for you. And yeah, like I had somebody come in and like I had like an interview on some of those messages that maybe you and I were raised with that are different. And this is all like, I'm not just pulling this out of the air. This is all based on research through Ellen Satter, who's, you know, kind of the guru of feeding therapy. Um, and she has a, um, a feeding philosophy known as the division of responsibility in feeding. So a lot of my work is based on her research. Um, so all the stuff I talk about is evidence-based. Um, and But it is just counter to like what mainstream people talk about, right? Like I don't talk, and also like there is a place for like, if you want to make like a, you know, a brownie with, with um, black beans in it, like that's great. But I don't think we always need to do that. So like sometimes I'll talk about like, you don't have to healthify your food. Like it can just be a brownie. Sometimes we can just eat a brownie. We don't need to have like, you know, everything with like stevia and like high fiber this and that. Like we can just enjoy food and not have to always be making it something that it's not. Like if I want to increase someone's fiber and phytochemicals and nutrients in their body, like I'm not going to tell them to like be adding that to their brownie. Like I'm going to be talking about adding it in other ways. Right. That was me in my very early years, like 15, 18 years ago as a new dietitian, making those black bean brownies and thinking they were the best thing ever. And then my husband was just like, can we just have like regular brownies? <laughs> and yeah, now I get it. Great. Like a serving of regular brownies really is satisfying and enjoyment and right along with uh, a plate of a protein and veggies and you know all that good stuff too so yeah exactly I know I I saw this funny reel and this guy was talking about um how he made these like sweet potato brownies and he was like in his disordered eating and how he was walking to the bus and like he ate so many of them that he literally like shit his pants and it made me laugh so hard because I was like that is just like classic like binging on like healthy brownies because they're healthy versus like just having like a brownie and, and being full and satisfied and feeling good about it. But because they're quote unquote healthy, like overeating them. And then like, you know, it was just, it was, and he was kind of laughing about it too. Like now he can see like the humor in that, that like it would have been better just to have a normal piece of food and then not have this like horrible thing happen to him like on the way to the bus. That's happened with a friend getting the sugar-free gummy bears on a road trip and having to make a couple of stops because those sugar alcohols just went right through them. <laughs> I know. I always tell people every year at Christmas, do not buy the sugar-free candy. They are like 
you will be on the toilet. There are lots of this. <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, oh, you also are in the classroom and do some presentations within different school settings. What is that like? I think that's like really like, I feel like there's a lot of room for dietitians in the classroom. Um, we are obviously like, we have like the education and background on nutrition and teachers. I love teachers. They have so much on their plate though. It is insane how much. So a lot of times they rely on worksheets and materials that have been handed down from generation to generation. And a lot of stuff is very deeply steeped in diet culture. So I think, you know, for me, I've been able to, I don't know how randomly I've been asked to like speak in classrooms and now I'm doing it more and more. Um, so oftentimes it comes through my social media, like people really liking the messaging and how I talk about food and then inviting me. Like I just got an invitation for a school to do one talk for the teachers and then one talk for the grade four to seven. So, um, you know, it's been really amazing. Basically what I do is I look at their learning guidelines and a lot of the learning guidelines or the curriculum points are super flexible. Like I think we think that it will be like teach calorie counting or teach good food versus bad food, but it's not. It will be like teach children like how to choose um, a variety of foods for their meals. Like so super vague, right? So you can really like play with that however you want. Um, and so that's what I've been doing. I've been looking at like, because the teachers have to teach the curriculum points. So I look at what the curriculum points are and then I make something in more of an anti-diet lens. And I look at it more like what are foods adding to our lives? What are they giving us versus like these foods are going to give us diabetes, right? Like, cause that is like a lot of times what happens. It's like food is like separated into like good and bad. And like, if we tell a six year old, like a cupcake is bad and it's toxic for them, it's going to give them diabetes and make them ill. They don't really understand like children are very much black and white thinkers. Like they don't understand why do I get a cupcake on my birthday if it's bad for me? Like, why would my mom give me that? Like, why is my mom giving me something bad? Right. So, and they don't understand, like, I've even heard like people saying, other children saying like, your mom's feeding you poison, right? Like if they have like a fruit roll up in their lunchbox or something like that. So um, children very much think in this black and white. So I try and make sure that my, what I talk about is focusing on like the positive aspects of food, where it comes from, how it's grown, how it fuels our body, how it makes us feel how it connects us to others, how it connects us to our culture. Like all of these are really like important ways that food affects us. And so, you know, if you say, if we're talking like this food is bad and this food is good, the other thing is that it's very elitist because not everyone can afford the quote unquote healthy food, right? And so if somebody is getting like a juice box in their lunch and we're teaching that juice is unhealthy, why is Johnny getting a juice box? Well, his mom maybe can't afford to like, buy him fresh food and chop it all up doesn't have the time maybe she's working multiple jobs so um and the other thing is like i often see like some of the guidelines are like very difficult for families who have children with like pediatric feeding disorders or if they have autism or sensory disorders or they have allergies like some kids can only eat like certain foods and so when we put them on the bad list that really makes kids feel that guilt and shame around eating which they should never feel like all the foods in their lunchbox are foods that their parents have chosen for them for a reason. If, if teachers are, so I have the flip side wall here. Teachers say to me like, but I get like kids bringing in a box of mini donuts for lunch. Like all they'll get is like a box of 12 mini donuts. And I'll say, I get it. Like that's not enough for them to like fuel them, but we need to talk to the parents. 
figure out what's going on with that and find out is that a food security issue? Is that a time thing? Like how can we support the parent versus going through the child? Because children don't choose their lunch boxes. Like that's the parent's role. So, um, so yeah, the school, the like working with the schools has been super fun. I've been really enjoying it. Um, the kids are really receptive to hearing the messages because a lot of them aren't inundated with diet culture yet. Right. So when I talk about some food just gives us joy, but like, isn't that okay? Like, shouldn't we feel joy? Like, isn't it, some food doesn't have as many vitamins as others, but it gives us more joy. So that's actually really good too. Right. So we talk about that food isn't good or bad, that there's no healthy or unhealthy foods. And I always get one kid being like, my mom says like Snickers bars are unhealthy. And I'll say, well, you know, here in, in the classroom, we believe that all foods give us something. So like, you know, teachers can, if they are kind of working in an anti diet lens, like they'll tell me like that sometimes they get pushback from parents, but parents are allowed to have their own rules and, and teachers are allowed to have their own kind of different, and they can be different, right? But oftentimes I'll say like, in our home, like if my kids ever were to say, like we were reading one of our books from the home reading program and it was all about sugar um, and how like too much sugar is bad for us and this and that. And we talk about like our body actually knows when we've had enough. Like, do you know how when you're eating candy and you feel done, like it doesn't feel good to have more than that, right? It gives you a tummy ache. So we actually don't need to worry about like that kind of stuff because we will have a variety of foods in our lives. Um, but I also can say like, because the teacher assigned that reading like in our house, we believe this. So teachers can do the same. In our classroom, we believe that all foods give us something. So um, no, it's been really fun to be in the classroom. Um, I love group presentations. It's something that really like lights me up and, and brings me a lot of joy. Um, and then, yeah, kids have really good questions. Um, and so that's been a fun kind of aspect that I've kind of just taken on um, because there's been an interest. And that's a great influential role to to be in the classroom as opposed to, you know, you can tell your kids something, but they may, they may not uh, get as much from it as coming from someone that a guest speaker coming into the classroom would. So that is so great to do. Yeah, definitely. And I see you do things from individual consulting to family consulting, corporate wellness and media. Um, what would be a testimonial that you have had or shared a story of someone turning over a new leaf? I get messages all the time. I mean, <laughs> like I get messages. Like, I just posted something. Someone was like, because I do get like, sometimes I feel like I'm running up against a bit of a wall because there is so much still like deeply laced in diet culture that messages that parents get. So I just got a message the other day saying like, I had an eating disorder when I was growing up and I'm really trying to change how I talk and think about food. And like your page has been so supportive in helping me not only with my own journey with food, but also giving me like the script to talk to my kids and how to shift what they, what I would normally like my, she said it like my boomer mindset, like my, what, what I heard from my parents was this, but like I, you've given me the tools to actually like change how I talk about food. So I'm not going for the default. So I think we have to remember that like, this is like decades and decades of like, our, how our parents, like we think of our own parents, but like their parents raised them like that and their parents and like goes on and on. So like we are breaking cycles and it is really hard. And so like to do things completely differently than your parents did um, is actually not intuitive at all. Like it is very hard to do. And so sometimes like we will be making mistakes along the way. And I think we need to forgive ourselves for 
like if you have a child, like your children are a bit older, like if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, I, I do want my kids to have a different relationship. I always tell parents like it's never too late. Um, we can also go back and repair. You know what? I'm sorry that in the past I haven't let you listen to your body and I have kind of micromanaged what you've been eating. But moving forward, I'm going to let you have a, as much as you want from any of the foods provided. I'm not going to make you a separate meal. But if you want more bread or more rice or whatever it is that you want, I'm never going to limit the portions that you're eating. So I think we as parents, like we make mistakes along the way, but I think we can go back and make that repair and say, like, I've learned something new. And like children really love hearing that you've messed up and they love hearing you say, like, I personally never heard any either of my parents ever say apologize for anything that they did. It was like that was like taboo for parents to like admit that they any wrongdoing so but now we learn that like okay like it's actually okay and like children don't not respect us because we apologize so like we can go back and and make things right and repair and then move forward and do things differently right and even with my teenagers I'm I'm learning that yes I messed up I'm sorry you know exactly Jen where can everyone go and connect with you so there's a couple places you can find me. I am probably most active on Instagram. Um, and that's just um, Jen, the dietitian and dietitian is spelled with a T here in Canada. Um, and so you can find me there. Um, I'm on my website. I've got like lots of blog posts. If you're like, how do I even start the journey of like giving my kids like more access to sweets? Like, especially if you're noticing, for example, like your kid is like obsessed or sneaking food or hiding food and you want to like just get started the blog is a great place to check out. I have a Facebook page, um, which is North Vancouver Dietitian. Um, and yeah, you can connect with me through the DMs. I get a lot of messages though. So be patient with me. I try to um, respond to all of them. So it does take me some time sometimes to get back to some of your questions. You're a breath of fresh air. And thank you so much for, for being you on social media and let us taking on this newer movement of food and body neutrality and feeding kids, all that messy stuff that we have a hard time with. <laughs> I know. And I think like we're all just navigating the waters together. So I think that's where like community and like learning that like things you can change how things are for your family, for yourself, like you can do things differently. Um, and there is community around you that will be right along with you and cheer you on. And, and also like, not be judgmental around like parents will say to me like thank you for posting that like it's okay to feed your kid craft dinner because I have been feeling so much guilt or shame over that and so a lot of what like nutrition out there is like very fear-based um and a lot of like um fear-mongering and like a lot of science that's like they'll they'll like hold a study that has like six participants or like it's only done in rats and things like that. So I feel like wherever you get your information, just make sure you are, it is a registered dietitian because we are accountable to our college of dietitians. So if I say something that's incorrect, I could actually have like a repercussions for my own college, similar to a pharmacist or a doctor. So whoever you're getting your information from, just make sure it is um, a registered dietitian or if it's a physician, like that's another good option, but just make sure that they have, some expertise or some degree in nutrition because they don't get a ton of information in their teaching about nutrition. So that would be my final thought for you um, as you navigate the waters of social media and all the craziness that we see online. Thank you so much. Keep on doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. Thanks. Have a great day. She is so good. <laughs> 
so much good information to share with us and be sure to follow Jen and connect with her and her community on Instagram. I am one of her biggest fans of her information and making the change in the social media world. It's all the stuff that we need to hear. Thank you so much for joining us today and we will be back next week for another episode on the Daily Dietitian Podcast.